The following presentation was recorded at a Christian Light Education workshop. More information at clp.org. All right, this is a session on, there's room up front here yet, on improving word usage. It's a fascinating thing to ponder working with words. It's fascinating how much of our life involves words. Teachers teach with words, preachers preach with words. We read that actually God created the world with words, didn't he? He spake and it was done. Does anybody have a handout? Alright, so we'll be following this more or less. <clears throat> are words living things? Well, some are, anyway. The Emily Dickinson said that I say a word just begins to live the day that you speak it. It, doesn't, it isn't uh, dead. A word is something a bit like time. If you try to define it, how would you define it? What is time? Some of these everyday things, we all know what they are, and yet when you stop and think about them, it's hard to think about just what this actually is. But one aspect of the word word is it has something to do with naming something or calling it out. So when Adam brought the animals, no, when God brought the animals to Adam to name them, it says he called, he named each one. And we assume that when he named the giraffe, why he saw somehow the giraffeness of a giraffe and was able to give it a name that somehow got to the essence of the character of the giraffe. It wasn't just a, an arbitrary sound. And when uh, we were called by name, well, <clears throat> it's, we often think of names as just simply a particular word that is attached with a person. But when you think of a nickname, when somebody nicknames somebody, usually it has something to do with that person's uh, body build, skinny, rail, shorty, or it could be some other uh, characteristic of the person. Words do somehow name things, and they're also there's a foundation for communication. So looking at your outline here, there is, uh, the, just looking briefly at the way the word is used in Scripture. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. There is something about a word when it comes to deciding to do something. Sometimes the most important thing we do is decide, I will do this. I will build. And once the decision is made, then it happens. The, the spoken word is significant. And the word of the Lord endures forever. I'm still living by the consequences of some words 40 years ago, 41 and a, and a little over 41 years ago, I said a word to somebody else and she said a word to me. And we're still living with the commitment of those words. It's my wife, we vowed to live till death do us part. Some words that you speak are recorded in heaven and they, are, they bind you for life. The word that you speak we tend to think of words as being very light things, very plentiful things, and they are in a way. But they are powerful. The scriptures tell us that a word fitly spoken is a wonderful thing. And by our words will be condemned or justified. Pleasant words like a honeycomb. Now, on your outline here, part B and C, let's contrast for a moment pictures and words. There's an old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Now, you could look at that in two ways. You could say that you can show in a picture what you could in it with a thousand words, or it might also say that 
a, it takes a thousand words to get at what's in a picture. And let's look at the one on the right, the little girl standing in the corner, and there's a dog there. <clears throat> now, if you were to describe that to somebody who was not able to see the picture, in fact, this would be an interesting little activity to try with your students, to have one person, one student see a picture and that the other person hasn't seen, and then describe in detail what's, what you see in that picture. Let's try this for some practice. Let's use some words to describe what do you see on that picture. We see a dog and a girl, but we have to go far beyond that. What's, uh, what's happening? Pardon? A pretty little girl. A pretty little girl. Okay. What else? With a ruffly dress. Oh, a what? With a ruffly dress. All right. Looks like she's in trouble. Oh, she's in trouble. Why do you say that? What what do you what is it about the picture that tells you that? Standing in the corner. She's standing in the corner. Mm -hmm. The dog is saying, Come on, Mom, she wasn't that good. Alright. And how do you know the dog's saying that? What is it about the dog? He's, look, he's looking towards someone. Alright. The dog's looking back towards someone. Uh, does that dog actually have an expression? Yes. It does, doesn't it? Uh, what else about the dog's stance shows, tells you something? Something about the way he's standing, or she is standing. All right. That foot up. Is the dog getting ready to dig a hole? The, no, how's the dog holding its paw? What, what does that suggest? What do you see in that? Wait, waiting, expectation, yeah. maybe expectation, beseeching. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else that you see? When people look at a picture, they don't all see the same thing. And by the way, this is an excellent activity for children to have them, to give them a picture, photograph or a work of art, and simply have them write captions. It's very interesting. If you have five people and they each write a caption to put under this picture, you won't get five identical ones. And sometimes they'll contrast with each other. It's very fascinating to see what people see in a picture. Uh, <clears throat> all right, let's go to the one in the middle, the man in the hoe. What, uh, what do you see there in that picture? Let's use some words to describe what you see. Poverty. Poverty. Well, how do you, what makes you say that? What is it about the picture that, what do you base it on? Okay, what about his clothes? Simple, homespun. What else do you see? Hard yes. work. All right. What else? Almost despondent look on his face. Oh, dis okay. We're talking about words here. That's you used a heavy-duty word there. What does despondent mean? Is that uh, almost depressed. <laughs> All right. Depressed. All right. Without hope. Mm -hmm. Does it mean he's angry? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Anger and despondency aren't the same thing. Of excited. Mm -hmm. All right. Without hope. All right. And then the one on the left you has a lot of detail you can't see as well. But you see some children on the street there on the left, kind of a, a dirt street leading up to a, a school or a church. 
And then there, on the right there's a blacksmith with some children watching him. So if you're going to use words, what are some things you see? Uh, now when I, that's rather than describing physical things like the tree, what activity or what feel or what mood or whatever, what, what do you see in this picture? All right. What makes you say that? That's from long ago. That's interesting. Blacksmith. All right. Mm -hmm. No signs of uh, modern traffic. <coughs> what else? Busyness, activity. Mhm. Mm uh, fascination. The children are fascinated with with uh, what they're doing, with what they see. Now, I talked in another session about pictures. Some people think primarily in pictures. When they're thinking, they're primarily seeing things. If they're not seeing things, they're not thinking. Personally, I don't think that way most of the time. I can picture something. Some people are so, probably the extreme. We had a teacher some years ago, and uh, uh, there was a student who was easily distracted, and we were discussed having a little rearranging the furniture slightly so that <coughs> making a place in the corner and having a little uh, corner where the desk could be where he could sit and work undistracted. And she, we discussed this and she couldn't imagine what that would look like. We actually physically moved the furniture and put it in place and then she stood back and, and looked and thought, yes, she thinks this will work. Now, I would have been able to, I knew what it was going to look like. I knew exactly what it would look like before. And I could have imagined that if this was sitting here and that was sitting there and that was sitting there, that's exactly what it would look like. But she couldn't until we actually moved the furniture. She's a, a very verbal person. Then on the other extreme, there are those people who, if they can't see something, they really can't, it seems they can't think. I don't know which, which you are. Uh, uh, but you need to be aware that some students are that way. But regardless, we do need to learn to use words, and words have power. Now let's go to part C here. It, I raised the question, is a word worth a thousand pictures? I have a list of heavy-duty abstract nouns there, such as envy and revenge. Now, what is revenge? Could you draw a picture of revenge? Well, maybe you could draw a picture of somebody taking revenge on somebody else. But revenge includes a lot of things. To get a concept of what some of these words mean, especially abstract nouns, you almost have to tell some stories. And in fact, abstract nouns, I've often said, are actually titles for stories. So nouns such as, well, these, law, law of joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, in order to understand them, you almost have to hear a story, which maybe is a series of activities. But words are powerful, and words do allow us to think. And if we really are good thinkers, we ought to be speechless. We ought to be able to put words to what we are thinking or what we are seeing. And so the one who does think in pictures and sees ought to be able to use words to talk about what he sees. On the other hand, <clears throat> one of the values of, of looking at pictures and describing them or writing uh, something based on them, by the way, it's an excellent idea for uh, 
writing assignments is to give a picture and have the children write a poem, a little poem, or write a little story uh, based on or somehow taking off from the picture. And the question for Roman numeral D, can we see what is going on around us? The point there is that you first have to be able to, to see what's really going on. For example, if grandma <clears throat> is, or if somebody's reading a story to children and they're having a good time together, can you see affection? Can you see relaxation? Can you see uh, interaction when it's happening in front of your face? We probably all had the experience already of being with somebody else when something somewhat exciting happened or something interesting happened. And then later on, this friend of yours told other people about what happened in such a way that you yourself were almost more enamored, more interested in hearing him retell it than you were yourself in being part of it when it happened. Who knows what I'm talking about? Some people just have that ability. And, and you, you hear the description, you say, well, yeah, that did happen. And, yeah, I was there, I saw it. But it, it didn't strike you that way. And, and when, if you would have told the story, it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting as him telling it. And it's almost like in the telling, that the interest is in the telling of it. Everybody's life is very interesting. It's a matter of who gets to tell the story or, or not. And so... <clears throat> When, when we, one of the, one of the values of, of learning words and using words well is to be able to use words to retell, to recount, to report, to relive past experiences. Moving on. Actually, when we think of words, we think of the power of the tongue. James talks about the power of the tongue. And words have, just look at that list. With words, we can bless, we can curse. Now, we don't curse, but some people do unwittingly by discouraging people. When a child has grown up, and somewhere along the line, somebody told him something like, you will never amount to anything, or you can't, or whatever. And just a few words like that can affect a person for life. Some people grow up determined to prove that they can. And they will build businesses, uh, or whatever, do big things, just, do, just because of something that took root way back in their childhood based on what somebody said. We can encourage with words, explain, justify, excuse, question, command, manipulate. Notice all this whole list of things that words can do. Another part of words and using words is words and body language together. Uh, pointing Words themselves have meaning, but when we speak, sometimes our words say one thing and the body language says something else. You can easily explain this to children. For example, if you uh, think of calling the dog, <clears throat> if the dog had been digging the flower bed and you said, come here, Fido, you dug in the flower bed. You're not supposed to do that. I'm going to smack you for it. So come here and I'll smack you. Well, the dog would probably come up wagging his tail. And then when he get, if, he, if he gets smacked, well, he would be shocked. Because he, he was reading your expression 
On the other hand, if you came home and said, Fido, come here. I haven't seen you all day. I'm going to pet you. Come here. Well, he'll probably put his tail between the legs and because he's going by the expression and not the dictionary definition of the meaning of the words that you spoke. And so there is such a thing, of course, we know that words have meaning, but the way we use them, especially when we speak, has meaning also. However, body language enough alone is not enough. Body language has its limits. We do need words. Let's move on to, to uh, vocabulary. As we build vocabulary, <coughs> remember that a new word gives you the power to say something that you otherwise could not say. I like to remind my students that when you learn a new word, you're now able to say something that you were speechless about before. You can illustrate this, and you don't have to go overboard. And uh, in uh, There is a limit to the amount of words that you use or, or need to learn. But pointing out, for example, the word walk means to put one foot on the ground in front of another. But notice that there are a whole set of words that mean walk. And elementary children especially, you could have fun acting these out. Uh, for example, strolling, hiking, plodding, lumbering, tramping. What's the difference, for example, between plodding and tramping? They're not quite the same. How would you tell somebody's plodding along or tramping? Someone who's plodding is tired. Someone who's tramping um, is still going. All right. Maybe almost marching or, yeah, or yeah. tramping with energetically. Yeah. Plodding suggests being tired. Good. Uh, what about uh, a stride? What's a stride? A long-legged person really moving along. All right. Yes. And you, you stretch... And children can have fun acting this out where you, you see how far you can step without falling over, without hopping off, almost uh, a stride. And then uh, trudging, stepping, strutting, flouncing, prancing, sneaking. A flounce isn't quite the same as a prance. They're a little bit different. And why learn another word? Well, can you, can you tell a flounce if you see it? Can you tell a prince if you see it? Somebody asked me, well, what about perambulate? Well, I think perambulate would, it does mean to, to walk uh, slowly and without purpose and probably meditatively. So if you would perambulate, you can imagine somebody at break time going down the sidewalk, uh, maybe thinking about something. And you are, you're able to think a little better while you walk than if you just stand still. So you're, you're perambulating, you're, you're moving along. But I'm not striding, I'm not flouncing, I'm not prancing, I'm not stumping, I'm not tramping, I'm perambulating. And so there, there is a time to use a word that describes... And of course, you can have fun with these. You can have the children come up and say, if you have a dozen words like this, you can have them come up and act one out, and the class is supposed to guess you know, which, which are you doing. You know, or narrow it down to two or three. You know, uh, a flounce or a or a prance, or a sneak. Of course, that one is rather easy to act out. But the point is that the building words isn't necessary. They're not necessarily big words, complicated words, but there are precise words. And you can be more precise in what you say if you have a variety of words. And so you can practice using them properly. Mark Twain has said that the difference between the 
right word and almost right when it's like the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. So when Johnny, what's the difference if Johnny asks his mother a lot of questions? Is, is there a difference between bothering his mother with questions or badgering his mother with questions or peppering his mother with questions or showering his mother with questions? Each one's a, just a little bit different feel. And depending on, on the mood, there's just the right word there. Now, at some point, children learn about the thesaurus. You can look a word up in a thesaurus and it gives you eight synonyms that you can use for that word. But that doesn't mean that when you're writing, if you want to avoid using the common word, that you can just at random pick out another word from the thesaurus and plug it in there. You're really supposed to pick a word that does mean what you want. And the purpose of using a thesaurus isn't to make your writing look fancy. It's better to use the common word if it fits. The time to use a specific word is if the specific word is, is called for. And so uh, this is uh, an example of going overboard where if you get carried away using the biggest words you can think of, you end up not communicating. The person wonders, what in the world are you trying to say? Neophytes frequently essay to enhance their parlance by exporting the German locutions that exceed their comprehension. Uh, what? And so there is an extreme where you, where you just end up with gobbledygook. So there, the point isn't to show off or to see how big words you can use or how many new words you can use. But the point is to use the right tool for the right thing. The mechanic uses, chooses the right tool for the right purpose, and sometimes there's just the right word. When you learn a new use of a common word, you actually are learning a new word. And so, for example, the word set. Pick a, pick a word like the word set and have your students find out how many definitions that word has. A good dictionary will have as many as 50 different definitions for the word set. That's fascinating too. To, uh, to, to check them out. Another thing in improving word usage or understanding words <coughs> is to make sure, if you're using the King James Version of the Bible, make sure that your students learn the meanings of the words as they're used in, uh, in the scriptures. And so a word like quicken, that doesn't mean to run faster or to get lively. It means to be alive. If you're quickened, why you are made alive. You're not dead. If you... Um, if you trespass, why? What does that mean? Uh, if you trespass, well, you you uh, you don't pass somebody's tresses. Uh, you you uh, you do wrong. You violate somebody else's uh, uh, rights, and so on. A word like "want," I shall not want. What does that mean in the twenty-third psalm? It doesn't mean you no longer desire anything, but you're not going to lack anything. And so, sometimes learning vocabulary with Bible terms, especially, is vitally important for actually understanding what the Bible says. Remember, there was a big flood over the earth. God, Noah was on the ark, and then it says, God remembered Noah. Now, Noah was in the ark a long time. Does that mean that God kind of forgot? And then a year later, oh, that's right, Noah's still there in the ark. <laughs> we need to do something about that. Uh, the, word, the word remember in scripture means that the person does something about it. Uh, the person notices and takes action upon it. And so there's a specialized meaning. If you're going to understand those terms in the Bible, you have to learn the meanings the way they're used in the Bible. And another one I've had fun with often is uh, 
with hymns. When you sing a, an everyday common hymn, if, try that if you're a song leader, do the same thing with family worship. We don't normally uh, recommend speaking in tongues or singing in tongues, but if we don't understand the words that we're singing, we do end up singing in tongues because we sing words without understanding. And so I remember growing up singing Amazing, uh, yes, Just As I Am Without One Plea. And I thought there was something just a little bit ungrammatical about that or illogical. Without one plea, just as I am. You know, I'm not, I think of a plea as something you ask for something. You maybe, you know, something like plead for something. And so I'm not going to, the only, the only request I have, I don't have any request at all except that your blood is shed for me. And I thought, well, I'm not asking for Jesus' blood to be shed for me, so there's something just kind of illogical. But it's a nice song, so I just sing it anyway. And it was many, many years later that I realized <clears throat> that this is actually a, a legal term. It's referring to coming in the presence of Christ. And when you come in the presence of a, uh, like a court or a judge, you have to ple- you plead guilty or you plead innocent or you... Uh, or you have something to base your action on, which the judge will acknowledge. And this is really saying the only plea I come to as I am, and the only plea, the only thing I can plead, the only plea I have is the blood of Christ. Uh, is the only thing I can can base that on. Or Glendale forfeit all of life's treasures, or uh, fold me, fold me close to thy breast. Now we know that we can, we can. Uh, closed books, they fold up, you can fold up a wallet, and most people are rather flexible, you can kind of take their legs you know, and fold them up so what does this mean, and the interesting thing is you have no idea what your children are thinking when they sing some of these hymns because they they have this concept, somehow they got in their mind, and it's never talked about and so over the years they, they sing these things, and you don't know what they're thinking when they sing them, yes we had a case where a child asked could we sing, requested to sing the tow truck song? Mm-hmm. We're like, they want to sing the records clear today. Uh huh. The, you know, the records clear today. today. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they were singing the records clear today. The yeah. tow truck song. Yes, yes. The record. Mm-hmm. And it would never be revealed if they hadn't asked in that way. Right. And so they've been singing about the record all these years. And uh, no connection at all with the record. And so, uh, if you want to. Yes, it's interesting. And you'll be surprised, Alf, with high school classes, you, you pick a song and you just scan that quickly down there with the verse, maybe in the third verse, and you see a word there and you say, uh, uh, Jolene, what, is that? what does that mean? And Jolene says, mm-hmm. and So then you just point out what it means. Now you can sing with the spirit and the understanding also. It's, it's uh, interesting to sing with the understanding. So there's another. Uh, and then <coughs> read. The, one of the fastest ways to build uh, word, the, uh, the value of words, is, is to read. Young children like big words. When I was in second or third grade, there was a story in a reader about uh, <clears throat> a king that had a magnificent hat. I don't remember anything about the story except that one word. Magnificent hat. And I just liked the word magnificent. I liked the way it rolled off my tongue. And children can be an, intrigued with, with big words. Bombastic, hoof, slimy, earnest. When you're reading, savor, savor the words as you read to children. Don't read uh, too rapidly. Most people who read 
especially poetry, to young children read too rapidly. And so they'll read something like this. Chipmunk, chipmunk, you're a skippity skipmunk. Flick, flick, over a stick, under the bushes, thin and thick. You scamper. And you're reading that fast. The child doesn't have a chance to have the experience. And recognize uh, words and let them have a chance to enjoy it. Chipmunk, chipmunk, you're a skippity skipmunk. Flick, flick, over a stick. Under the bushes, thin and thick. You scamper along, so quickity, quick. You ought to be called a quick monk instead of a chippity chipmunk. Now, you can just imagine children enjoying the words, the play with words there. And you can, you can imagine, yeah, a quick monk. Actually, it would be a better word than a chipmunk because he doesn't chip anything. He, well, I guess they do maybe make a chippy sound. Well, that, those are light words. And then sometimes you get, in poetry, you get such heavy-duty words that you almost, uh, your breakers trip. You can't handle them all. This poem called Hushwifery by Edward Taylor, it's a prayer. <clears throat> and it says in the last stanza, Then clothe therewith my understanding, my will, affections, judgment, conscience, memory, my words and actions that their shine may fill my ways with glory and thee glorify. Notice that the words just stack up those, each word, each word means something specific and, and uh, it would take some time to think through what each one of these means. Judgment, conscience, memory. Recognize, uh, when you read to children, recognize the words are, it's not necessarily big words. When you read aloud, why let them have a chance to savor the, the common words that are used in interesting ways. When he was 11 years old, Abe Lincoln's young body began to change. The juices and glands began to make a long, tall boy out of him. As the months and years went by, he noticed his lean wrists getting longer his legs too, and he was now looking over the heads of other boys. As he took on more length, they said he was shooting up into the air like green corn, and it goes on. Now, what words, they were just one syllable words for the most part, what words did you notice in there that are kind of fun, the way they're used? Just, they help you picture something. Any? Long wrist. Again? Long and tall. Okay, long and tall. What else? Mm -hmm. Lean, yeah. The shooting up, and I was attracted by what? What is it that made a long, tall boy out of him? <coughs> Juices and glands, right? So just one syllable words, but the way they're used. You know, here's a boy is is changing. So as as you read, when you read aloud. Listening to a good story, biography, whatever, is, is an experience. Give the children a chance to, uh, to savor it. Here's an example. This is in the War for Mansell uh, near the end. <clears throat> There's a, a trial, <clears throat> and Mr. Selflow is being before the judge. Just listen to the words here. Apprehended and committed to custody. But there were so many that were allied to him in Mansoul, his judgment was deferred. 
But alas, Mr. Self-Denial had stood up and said, If such villains as these may be winked at in man's soul, I will lay down my commission. So self-love was banished, but some in man's soul muttered at it. Now, those are some fascinating words for children to process. Apprehended, committed, custody, deferred, villains, winked at, banished, commission. Uh, And sometimes just stop and talk about words and how they're used with your, with your students. With a dictionary, point out to them how a dictionary works, the pronunciation, and notice how dictionaries will often show you how a word is used. One of the biggest challenges for children is to use a vocabulary word in a way that shows its meaning. So if you have a new adjective like uh, maybe apathetic, they're supposed to use it in a sentence. So Ray John was apathetic. Next word is, uh, is a despondent. Susie was despondent. Well, neither of those is an acceptable sentence because neither one shows that you know what the, what the word means. But uh, dictionaries will often show you how the word can be used. And then also phrases like the exception proves the rule or take exception. Dictionaries will often do that. And then, last but not least, the origin of words. Point out that there is such a thing as a word history. Origins of a word. The word sinister, for example, actually means uh, left-handed. Because uh, the right hand was the, was the hand that people were given greeting. And the left hand was the hand that was used for maybe stab in the back or uh, to hurt. And then, <coughs> finishing up here, practice... Or learn Latin and Greek roots and prefixes. The advantage here, many vocabulary books will have these sometime or other. But when you learn a root or a prefix, it's like a key that unlocks a door to many other words. If you know that, that the word anthrop or anthropo means man or human, well, well then anytime you see a word with that in it, you know it has something to do with a man. Uh, misanthrope, philanthropy, anthropomorphic, something about man. Or crone has something to do with time, anachronism, chronic, chronicle. So it's like a, a little key to unlock new words if you know some of the roots. It's fun to uh, think about idioms. We use idiomatic expressions without thinking about it. But idiomatic expressions literally don't make sense. Have all your ducks in a row, or carry a chip on your shoulder, or it's not worth a hill of beans. Uh, these, these terms... Uh, the weatherman's calling for, for rain. Uh, we use that term back. He said it doesn't mean that they think he's a uh, witch doctor. It just means that he's saying it will probably rain. And then also uh, puns help, have help children recognize puns. Puns are often puns because they are, they are uh, suggest two different things. A horse is a very stable animal, or the contrast between. Time flies like an arrow and fruit flies like a banana. It has to do with the sentence structure. And then uh, part B here, you can make exercises where children need to use other words. Billy ran out the door to find mom and ask her whether he could go along with Sam. So if Billy was really excited about going away, what other word could you use instead of ran out the door? How did he go out the door? Dashed. That's what I think of. Out the door and be just outside to accompany perhaps and uh, 
people often want ideas, teachers often want ideas for bulletin boards. Uh, an excellent idea is to have a word bulletin board of various ways. One idea would be to just simply <coughs> take a word and then have a, a number of synonyms and try to have them make illustrations and have the students do this. You don't have to do it. Make illustrations to show what the word means or make a bulletin board with Latin Greek prefixes or uh, using the uh, vocabulary words in new ways, some kind of a word wall, uh, call attention, kind of celebrate words. And let them know that you're interested in, in words. And uh, F, I talked about this before with uh, another group, teaches students to speak in sentences and uh, avoid uh, always uh, engaging in the end. Yeah, discourse that's popular today. Um, there are particular words that you can use to say what you want to say. One of the best ways to develop good word use is to have good examples, good patterns. And so have them read or hear good examples, good models of words. And then on the back, I one thing, if you would want a particular separate vocabulary program, I just have one reference there, there of a company that uh, produces vocabulary books. And then that other resource on back, this book has been in the market for some years, Cultural Literacy, Whatever Americans Should Know. And it has a list of uh, actually terms here. Now, a term is a word that's used in a particular way. And so, for example, something, well, there, there are words like anaerobic, anaerobic without oxygen. And you can just scan this list. And uh, if you need ideas for a word wall, or sometimes there are Latin terms like caveat emptor, that the buyer beware, there's uh, a list of ideas for terms to uh, introduce to children. Any comments? About any any, any uh, closing words or questions about words? In the beginning you said something about some words are what in heaven? Oh, recorded. Recorded, recorded. yes. If you make a vow, yes. <coughs> if you make a vow, it's recorded in heaven. Actually, it says that your words... <laughs> Uh, we, we're going to give account of every word we speak somehow. Now that's, that's different than having a vow recorded. But it is something to, when you vow before God, why there's a record in heaven of that. Any other comments? Um, yeah. Years ago, you reminded a group of those teachers to how the word just is overused in prayers. You know, just, oh. Lord, just help us this and just this and that. Thank you. That's a little pet peeve of mine. I'll just say this. The word just ought to be banned from all prayers. <laughs> the, you think about what that says. It said, Lord, we don't want to ask very much of you. If you could just do this little bit for us, that would be okay. And you know, Paul tells us the Lord is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. And his eyes are going to and fro over the earth to show himself mighty in the behalf of those who start to operate toward him. He's wanting to work through us. And so we ought to train ourselves to do the opposite and say, Lord, do, and then pray what you want to pray for whatever person you're praying for, but do exceedingly abundantly above what I can ask or think. I, can, I can't imagine what you want to do. I know that you want to do something greater than what I can imagine. Just do something greater. <laughs> if we're going to do anything, we ought to go the other way and say, Lord, do something greater than this rather than just do this. <laughs> Any other comments? About the importance of 
teaching children to not say um, um, um. Right. Tell children it's fine to think. And when you're thinking, you're often silent. So when you want to think of what to say next, just think. And then say what you have to say. You don't have to fill in the time. Oh, um, yeah, let's see here. Uh, just, just be silent and then say what you want to say. Any other comments? I appreciated what you shared. It was interesting. This, you probably can't answer this question. I don't expect you to, but a fly and a fly drone. Mm -hmm. If a fly couldn't fly, would it still be called a fly or would it be called a walk? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. That's a question. They are. Yes. Um, a little activity I've had high school students try already is uh, making up new words. When you make up a word, uh, you, don't, you don't have to use a phrase. <coughs> and they had some fun with this. And I remember, I wish I wrote down the word and remember what it was. But they invented a word that meant the feeling that you have when you're with a group of young people and you, do, you go somewhere for the weekend. You leave on Friday evening <clears throat> and you come back home and you're all tired uh, and you get out of the van and you're home. And, and that feeling, and they had a word for that. And, the, and it would be a very specific word that describes that feeling, not another kind of tiredness. So it's an interesting experience to try to make up a word that, that names something that there's no word for. Thank you. You're dismissed. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.